The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. How long does it take me to, uh, to view everything? Uh, probably about an hour, I expect. So I can see half an hour now and see it half an hour later? You could do just the bottom floor today and see if it's upper floor tomorrow. I could do that. That was not a little sketch. That really did happen, a few days ago in fact. Me entering the old jail museum in Lindsay to read, learn, observe stuff about our history because the museum is open. Again, breathe that in. And like I did, take it in, along with all of our museums and attractions here. My name is Denny Grignel. This is the program I host. It's called The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Today... Had this beautiful historic train station that had um, very little use happening in it and so we thought hmm a building without a use and a doctor without a building that sounds like a mess. We'll take you on a tour of this former train station soon to be wellness center. Baseball's back for old fellers like me. Pete Sanderson tells us how he and Ivan Goodhand made that happen and we'll serve up the deets on how restaurants are facing challenges finding staff. So dust off your home plate, tighten the Velcro on your batting gloves, dig in and get ready for the first pitch on the program. All right, here's an attraction that's been open for many months now. A very, very cool and very long art installation along Lindsay's Rotary Trail. Now, if you've seen it, you probably don't call it an art installation. You probably refer to it by its more common moniker, a rock snake. Now numbering about 1,000 rocks, each individually painted. Some are simple and others have these inspiring messages on them. They all work together to create this creatively unique and, well, warm and fuzzy, long thing. Nina Bovi is the young woman who started this project with some help from her two-year-old son, Raphael. I met them both at the sign just above the snake's head. That's where Nina described the snake's early days. Uh, we started with three originally, and then it just grew slowly after that, day after day. And then one day I came down and there was over 600 rocks. So I was just in shock that someone hadn't destroyed it and thankful that someone hadn't come along and just, you know, knocked it over or something or taken the rocks as it was and just kept adding to it. And they were just beautiful rocks all in themselves, just so the kids had done. What were your first three rocks? Uh, the first one was a snake head, and then there was a tie-dye rock and a, I guess it was a strawberry fields, hopefully to bring back some memories for the kids and the moms too. What's your reaction when you see people looking at this and studying it, not just walking past? What's, what's going through your mind as you're watching them watch, observe the rocks? Just a profound happiness that everyone's kind of coming together, enjoying something, and as something to just enjoy while you're out instead of just nature but something that brings the community together. Why do you think they they weren't vandalized? I think it's mostly because it's a lot to do with the kids joining in and having their rocks put out there and lots of families and they're just like seeing that and other people are just like oh we'll have some respect and you know leave it for the kids and everyone else to enjoy. Does it surprise you that it's come this far? Uh, quite. <laughs> very much so. Uh, I'm very surprised that it even made it to like 10 rocks, to be honest with you. What impact has it had, not just on your life, do you think, but, but on the community at large? 
Um, I've gotten quite a few messages from friends saying that they, they really love it, that it's something for their kids to do, and that there's a lot of people that just message me and just, like tell me stories of people that they've told stories to while they're down here. Um, there is a pair of lips rock, apparently, that has a um, 61 years marriage on the back, and it was a couple that left it there and painted it themselves. And um, What do you think when you see that rock? Oh, I smiled so big. I was like, that's just so amazing that like so many little things like have so many stories to them. Like just the littlest things have huge stories behind them and huge meanings too. Do you think this could have happened if this had not been what we're dealing with these past 15 months? Um, I don't think so in a way. I feel like it would definitely be a lot less than what it is now. Um, I feel with COVID, it's definitely a huge community bring together. What would you like to see happen with this once we're all out of this? And, and we will be out of it eventually. Um, I guess keep going, keep us all together and keep the happiness going in our community. <laughs> Nina Bovey, the young woman who launched Lindsay's Rock Snake, which you can find at the north end of the Rotary Trail. Now, there's a lot more to these rock snakes than just hundreds of pleasantly painted stones. Andy Cleghorn is a registered psychotherapist and art therapist. I spoke to her on the telephone recently about rock snakes. Now, just listen to what she says, how she uh, how she paints a picture. Yeah, I know there's a pun there. How she paints the picture in clear, thoughtful language about what a rock snake means, especially during this time. It's like somebody doing an act of random kindness. You can't help but get a little smile on your face because they're inspiring. You know, if you when you see graffiti that says, you know, sorry, but there are graffiti bits that say that you know, it kind of rattles you a tiny bit. And when you see a cute little rock that says, we're in this together, or don't give up, or, you know, you're special, it's a feel-good moment. It's literally a message of hope, and um, and that literally does stuff to the science in your brain. You're allowing yourself to get out of the fear and things that naturally happen in a pandemic, and you are able to explore um, your resilience, your positivity, your, your more evolved part of the brain. In the neocortex, where there's your more reasonable self that can help you control uh, and manage those strong feelings, um, that happens through art and visual installations. And there's a reason why art has always been around. It, it activates things in our brain. When I'm using art therapy and psychotherapy, my I'm always trying to tell people, you've got to forget what you've been told in school, that it's got to be an aesthetically pleasing object, and you've got to be a really good painter. No, absolutely not. We remember things in images. Most of our memories are not in paragraphs, they're in images. And they're like little movies. And, and so when a client um, or a person draws something that they're thinking or hoping for, it's like a, a picture can say a thousand words. And they're just, yeah, they're just using something from nature and they're just sending out a message and the message isn't anarchy rocks, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, message is, the message is, you know, um, we've got this. I think they'll become little icons and memories of, wow, like uh, an indication of the level of camaraderie that was brought on by everyone, rich, poor, healthy, not healthy, having the same fear 
I think it may end up being a bit like a time capsule. This is Calvin Chan from Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. This program is part of the Advocate magazine and 100% local media. The August issue of the magazine is now out, where you can see some wonderful pictures from our photo contest. And Connor Chase's in-depth feature on a new style of farming with sustainability in mind. Pick up your copy for free at Giant Tiger and Lindsay and Kinvale Restaurant in Kinmount. You won't see plays from these games, our games, on the highlight reels, but that's okay. The Senior Men's Slow Pitch League was never about stats and autographs. Last year, the league, full disclosure, I am a part of it, wasn't about anything really. Games were suspended because of you-know-what. Well, this year, ball is back, which was not a given. It required some pretty stringent rule adherence. I spoke to Pete Sanderson, who runs the league with Ivan Goodhand, following their well, our, second game back at Wilson Fields. You know, the vaccinations have made a really big difference in terms of uh, the uh, security and knowing that it doesn't prevent you from getting sick, but it prevents you from getting terminally ill. And it also, in, to a large extent, prevents you from being hospitalized, which means that uh, we're maintaining the integrity of our healthcare system. Like, our, our, our frontline workers have worked so hard. The fact that we've been able to get vaccinated uh, takes a little bit of the strain off them, but it also, there's a bit of a peace of mind in coming to play uh, with a group of 70 people, uh, most of whom are fully vaccinated. I think at last count we maybe had, at, at, at start last week, there were three who were waiting their second but were booked for their second. So the 73 that we have, I anticipate probably by next week, will all be fully vaccinated. It came down to watching the provincial protocols very closely. And when, when they made that lift of uh, moving us to stage three, for us, it was a go. Most of us are 65 plus. Uh, in fact, if you look at our age list, uh, I would say over 50% of us are over 70. And so um, uh, the fully vax uh, criterion uh, was a big one for us. I mean, obviously you can't demand that people are, are fully vaccinated, but um, it's kind of like we're running the fleet of cars, and if you want to drive one of our cars, you have to have a driver's license. And so we basically took the stance, if you want to play, you need to be fully vaccinated. Was there any blowback at all? Yes. We were confident in the, in the fact that the decision we made to, to, uh, uh, to insist on full vaccination was the right decision, and we're not the only place in town where, where you can play, and uh, if, you, if you prefer not to be fully vaxxed, uh, you're more than welcome to go elsewhere. We'll miss you, but the stipulation we had was we wanted to place health and safety above all else in terms of play. Important that we got back. I mean, let's face it, we're, we're, uh, it's, it's not about the baseball. It's about the social, uh, it's about the social camaraderie that goes along with getting together every Monday morning, and, you know, if, if you win, you win. If you don't win, and in many cases at the end of a game, people are asking what the score was, which is a good thing. I 
get the sense that this is really important to a lot of the guys here. Uh, and it's important to me, I, I must admit. You know, I mean, I, I looked forward to this and I missed it. So what was it like when you were able to come out here and you were sitting here at this picnic table under this banjel and you could see all the games taking place? Take me back to that moment when you saw that. It was like when I came to the park about a month and a half ago and I saw the Kawartha Cubs out on the field. There was just a sense of joy. I mean, the baseball was important, don't get me wrong. The game's, the game's a precious game. But the ability to get together and socialize, to see people you haven't seen for most, for many, in many cases, for two years, you know, to catch up on stories, to tell lies, you know, just, just the enjoyment of the sense that we're slowly getting back to normal. And sort of this was the first step that allowed us to um, collectively enjoy uh, what we've been doing for the last uh, the last year and a half, two years, and uh, what good things we've got to look forward. There'll always be the anxiety, but the fact that we're outside, that we're back together, that we've survived collectively, provides a peace of mind that, yeah, we're going in the right direction and things are only get better. It's a kind of a breath of fresh air. Baseball's a precious game. But it allows you to uh, it allows you to have a lot of fun socially. My name is Tab with Ross Memorial Hospital, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast: Stories from Fourth Lake. I am so happy restaurants are able to welcome patrons again, and not just on their patios. But this has meant more than just swinging open doors and practicing safety protocols. Many, if not most, restaurants now face the challenge of filling staffing positions. That means restaurant owners have had to get creative and more aggressive in attracting servers and kitchen staff, and in many cases, upping compensation. You may have seen such recruitment ads by one of my family's favorite eateries, the original Just for the Halibut and Bob Cajun, which is always very busy, but its owners, siblings Julia Kirby and Matt Lever, have had to make some temporary adjustments in the wake of these challenges, such as fewer days of operation. Still, Julia is buoyant and optimistic and refreshingly honest. I spoke with her just outside their large patio at the back of the restaurant. Particularly challenging this time of year. I feel that the COVID pandemic has has rocked the, the restaurant industry to something to I can't even imagine for this this year but Did that surprise um, you or were you bracing yourself for it we were bracing ourselves for it but I don't think you could ever be fully prepared for something like this and as as a restaurant owner you try to plan as best as possible but with COVID-19 you have to plan for the plan for the plan so what was that like dealing with that just spinning that wheel going where's it gonna land now quite difficult and stressful um, but at the end, we figured things out and things came together. We wear many hats um, throughout the day and we're there to support our staff and try to make you know the day-to-day -day a little bit easier. And it was always number one for us to make sure our customers were taken care of. Um, we've been very fortunate that we have some great stapled staff with us that we call family. Um, and we do offer, you know, some particular perks when you do do work with us. So like benefits, a health benefits for our full-time staff. Um, we feel that, you know, if, if you're going to be good and be loyal to us and be a good staff member, that this is something that is, is, is good to have as, as a small town business owner, especially in the restaurant industry. Well, tell me about that, about having to recruit staff, because we've seen the ads, you know, where you're, um, for lack of a better word, aggressively looking for staff. So what's it like just trying 
to fill that void right now that I'm guessing you haven't encountered that before either. We have a little bit, but more so like this year, I think it's a pandemic in itself for all restaurant tours right now, trying to find staff for uh, kitchen and for dining room staff. It's just that they're not there. Usually the the resumes are flowing in and, and you're doing all the ads, you're on Indeed, you're on all these other... Um, are you more aggressive than you normally are trying to find people? A little bit, yes. And we do have people that come walk in, like young students, and we and we have some students on staff as well. But yeah, it's just been a challenge. What do you think that's attributable to? The fact that not just you, but everybody in your industry is having a hard time filling those voids. I'm not sure if it's just that everybody in that industry, because it was hit so hard that they decided to take a different route or avenue, either went back to school or found a job somewhere else, or just decided to stay home and, you know, family. Through this pandemic, you, we've all realized that family has become kind of number one. The government has helped people out immensely um, through COVID-19. And I feel that that, partic that is a challenge, being challenged for us if people are getting that help that they don't necessarily have to go back to work. I think that's one of the factors as well. So we adapt where, you know, we have this great patio because of COVID, um, which has been a great success. So we've had to make the decision to, you know, only be able to do what the current staff and Matt myself can do at this time. So we've decided not particularly to do, you know, dine-ins open now and you can eat outside. We we're not doing dine-in unless it's obviously a rainy day like it had been today. So we kind of close the patio and do dine-in they only have enough staff to accommodate so much. What's it like for you and Matt to have to make those decisions on the fly like that? Uh, it's challenging because um, you always second guess yourself like I second guess myself all the time and and I look at Matt and we're like what are we gonna do and he looks at me what are you gonna do what are, what are you gonna do so um, so we try to come to a sense of agreement together just like okay I think we're, we're, we're doing this or <laughs> this is what's gonna happen because all these factors are working against us so we can only do physically what all of our staff can can do on a day-to-day -day and and we don't want to you know everybody's already run thin and stressed and it's a very stressful time so yeah we just we just plug away do the best that we can and serve as much people as we can with with the circumstances so our staff are go 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 those 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 days that we are open and you know the Sundays were were family time and we never used to really get that very much and we're everybody's enjoying it and I think that's you know, sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, family time that you can't get back is better than a dollar made. So you're really seeing a positive light in some of this. <laughs> you have to, you have to, or, or it will, it will consume you and you just, you won't be able to get back up. So you just have to keep staying strong and moving forward through all this. So we all know each other and, you know, we have our, we have our disagreements just as we would as a family. And then at the end of the day, we can, we can still yeah. hug one another and, and, you know, support one another through, through everything. Hi, I'm Julia Kirby with the original Just for the Halibut, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. Our program is made possible by the good people, the very community-centered people at Ward's Lawyers. Carissa and Jason Ward offer a wide range of legal services. They've got you covered. Find them at wardlegal.ca. 
The next time you're in Cobacon or driving through, well, don't just drive through. Stop at the Ball Diamonds. And from there, you'll see it over to the northwest. It's a large building. And on that building, you'll, you'll see a wooden sign with the word Cobaconk on it. It's on a hill overlooking a body of water. This was the train station long, long ago. But a group of Kobe residents is working to transform this building into a wellness center, a place where you can see a doctor, a dentist, a mental health practitioner, but much more than that. And with some major fundraising goals that have already been reached, this hub of dreams and healthcare, and so much more, it's in sight. Now, one of those people helping make this happen is Jennifer Wilson, general manager of the Cobacon Chamber of Commerce. I met her outside this once historic train station for a tour of what will be. The exterior of the building and the basement of the building has been maintained pretty well over the years by a very dedicated group of volunteers. They work, they're called the Cobaconk Railway Station Restoration Committee and uh, they've, they've done some amazing work. They were really enthusiastic and they fundraised all through, you know, 15 years probably of fundraising of bake sales and, and garage sales and all that kind of stuff to keep the building maintained. When we kind of got together with that group, we said, they said, hmm, this sounds like a great idea. What, do, what about the museum? And we said, let's incorporate the two together. In that space, as well as throughout other spaces within the building will be artifacts and historical stories and uh, interpretive um, displays all throughout the building that help tell the story of the area throughout the years. How important was it to you and everybody else who, who was working on the design that you incorporate some of its past? I think it's a foundational piece. We can't lose our history here. Uh, you know, two years ago, or maybe it's three years ago now, uh, the city was looking at this building as possibly being named surplus. And the community spoke out very, very clearly that they wanted to have this building. They wanted to keep the history of it here in the community. And the Chamber of Commerce went and we made our voices heard as well on behalf of the community too. And so the historical piece of it, we can't lose that. And, and there's no reason we need to lose it when we're trying, in addition to bringing the, all the other services that we want to bring to the community as well. We breathe a sigh of relief every time we go through uh, the next stage because this is it's a community-driven project. We're trying to address community needs here. Um, we're just one part of the community that's trying to keep moving it forward. And the more we all come together uh, with a common vision, the, the better it's going to be. We're in the gathering space of the uh, of the train station. And this is not original to the building. This building didn't have a basement in it originally, and so this foundation was put on uh, put in and has been a gathering space for communities to rent. There's a kitchen as well for people to be able to host their baby showers and their anniversary parties and their horticultural meetings here in this building. And this is all built by the volunteers. This will be expanded. There will be not just one gathering space available for people, but two, as well as um, the Cobaconkin Area Food Bank will be located in this lower level as well. Um, there will be a, ki a kitchen as well, and a, a larger kitchen that exists than currently, and, uh, and a couple of other small spaces available for other uses too. I see a hub of activity. I see like a beehive of activity that there's, that there's, um, that is serving different community uses that um, people from uh, this, you know, who are seniors all the way down through families and professionals and children being able to use this space for what it is that they need out of the community. When did the penny drop, Jennifer, when the community realized that, okay, we, 
we're going to need this. I think the tipping point was is finally understanding there are 25,000 people in Kawartha Lakes without a family doctor currently. And we have a, a wonderful family doctor here in Kobaconk that unfortunately has been housed in a portable um, portable building for the last three years um, because the the original building had to be demolished and so that temporary solution is not a great way to retain a good doctor in a community and our doctor here currently um, has so many patients and still cannot see all of the people who really also need those services so we know that there is a need here in this community for more more family care Okay, so this is the door into the... This is the big reveal. The big reveal. Okay, here <laughs> this, we go. This goes into the summer kitchen for the where the train station master uh, also... So this is an, this is a, an unusual train station uh, or one of a few train stations where the station master actually lived here with his family as well. So this area will be, will be like staff break room kind of area. So it'll still be used like a kitchen again to trying to keep that that historical alignment but it won't be this part won't be a public space okay let's say hypothetically i'm a doctor and i'm not saying i'm not well actually i'm not but let's <laughs> say i'm a doctor and i've got a couple different communities that want me that i can pick and choose from given what you've shown me here with this building uh the setting how do you pitch me on it? Well, Dr. Greenyard, here's why you should come here. <laughs> You're right, the setting is gorgeous. It's a unique it's a unique space that's going to be created here. It's also going to be built with um, green technologies and sustainability in mind. That's something that's attractive to people as well. Also, what we've heard from uh, the Kawartha Lakes Healthcare Initiative folks who are experts in this area, doctors want, doctors coming out of school now don't want to go into practice necessarily by themselves. They want to have a couple of peers working with them. So if we set it up with, two, with space for two or three doctors to be able to work together, that's another way for us to be able to provide that support that they're looking for as well. Um, Are you pitching them on it being an old train station? That's got to be part sure, of the package. why not? We're going to try everything we can, right? <laughs> the more interesting, the better, I think. This wellness center is not meant for Kobaconk. It is meant for Kobaconk, but it's also meant for Rosedale and Norland and Kirkfield and Burnt River. And, um, you know, uh, the mayor, Mayor Andy Latham, has said many times that this is not a Kobaconk project. This is a Kawartha Lakes initiative. How do you convince those people, though, in, in Bethany or Janetville or further up north who may not necessarily use this facility? How do you convince them that listen, we need your help to make this happen when they're thinking, well, it's not going to directly affect me. Yeah, I'm not sure Bethany is, the folks in Bethany are going to feel that this is this is the place that they need to place their support, and I can totally understand that. There's always the greater good. I mean, that's, you know, a big part of why we're pouring our heart and souls into it as we, as we develop this project. There's enough momentum for this project and support right here in these communities. So let's say Lindsay and North, um, that there's no doubt that people want this to happen. We've, you know, we set a, a $1 million target for community fundraising. Um, this is just a demonstration to me that I feel like we're on the right track because within six months, we're already at $565,000 for these, this, for, you know, three or four small communities to come together and raise that kind of money in that short of a time. It signals to us that this is something that people really want and really need. I, I can feel and smell the wood, but there's a, a real 
kind of warmth to this room here. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, let me take you through because this yeah. is this was this is you're really gonna love this part up here. You still have the uh, the organ. Yeah. Yes. There's quite a few um, artifacts throughout the you know that came from different buildings um, that were stored here for a long time. Oh my. So you can see here, this is the big door that would open and close to accept baggage. Slides open and close. Slides okay. open, yeah. still does. The yeah. potbelly stove. Yeah, potbelly stove. There's a there's an old sleigh up here, and some other um, some uh, big wagons, lots of other artifacts from through the years. Do you envision any of this being incorporated into the actual yes. medical portion? Like, will I walk in to see a doctor, and maybe there's a, a slayer of wood stove nearby <laughs> that I can also look at? I don't think that will be actually in the, the the examining room because, of course, there's a lot of parameters there from Ministry of Health and and other other guidelines that you know we want to make sure are exactly how they need to be. But in the common spaces of the wellness center, yes, you will be able to walk through and see that kind of stuff. So in here, this is where they sold the tickets. Here's the ticket window. Mm -hmm. How careful are you at, at incorporating some of this structure here, like that little window? In my head, I'm already seeing uh, you know, a reception person on this side of the window and dealing with uh, patients on one side, whereas 100 years ago it would have been tickets. Is that, am, am I just pie in the sky imagining that? Well, the principle of what you're talking about is exactly what we're going for. This, this won't be exactly where the um, reception area will be because it's going to need to be quite a bit larger than that, what that window can provide. But the architecture of the window, the floors, all of that kind of stuff mm. are going to be preserved. What was your reaction when you got the huge donation of, uh, was it a quarter million dollars? That was quite a moment for sure. And it was, it was, you know, you know, sitting about to sit down to dinner one evening and I happened to check my email and, uh, and I saw an email there from this person I'd been emailing back and forth with. And, and she just said, you know, we really feel like we want to do something for the wellness center. And I think we'd like to donate $250,000. And I looked at it and I, I read it again <laughs> and then I checked the zeros to see like is that <laughs> even more recently a donation from another local family who um, who also felt the need to they really wanted to honor their their roots here in the community their grandfather and um, uh, and the ways Amber and Dave way have, have pledged hundred and twenty five thousand dollars people believe in what we're doing people want it and we're going to do everything we can to make it happen. What does this tell you about your neighbors and your community that, that they poured so much heart, soul and funds into this? Well, we've always known this is the best community. <laughs> you do you hear know. that everyone else in Kawartha Lakes? <laughs> I mean this, I mean the Kawartha Lakes. I mean the Kawartha Lakes. Take a moment and, and envision what this is like when I open this door of this train station now, but the wellness center in the future. What do you think your reaction is going to be when you see what's happening in there as a wellness center? I think it's going to feel like home. How perfect is that? A hub that is home. My thanks to Jennifer Wilson, who toured me through the Kobaconk Future Wellness Center. And my thanks to our show's official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. Their team of lawyers have you covered. If you're looking for a lawyer, please check them out at wardlegal.ca. It's also a super cool website. 
Folks, our program relies on streams and downloads, which you can do for free via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, so please reach out to us. We love hearing from you. I also have to thank the fellow who wrote and performed all of our music on the show, Gerald Dan Haltron. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Fourth Lakes, is produced and hosted by me, Denis Grignon, who is also double-vaxxed. Won't you all join me in that? Stay safe and be nice to each other. Talk to you in two weeks. Thank you.